0: Well good morning everyone. It's lovely to be with you here this morning at the lifeboat and to fellowship with you and we trust that each and every one of us that are gathered here this morning will know much of the Lord's blessing as we come around his word and if you have your Bibles we're going to take a couple of readings this morning. The first one is found in the book of Habakkuk and we're just going to read a verse of scripture out of the book of Habakkuk and then we're going to come to the New Testament. And the easy way for finding Habakkuk is you go to Malachi and turn back a number of books. You'll come to the book of Habakkuk and we're just going to read in chapter one in verse number 13, Habakkuk chapter one in verse number 13. And we're just going to read the first half of the verse, and then we're going to turn over into the New Testament. Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 13, and it says, Thou art of pure eyes, and to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Thou art of pure eyes, and to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. And then if you just want to come over to the first epistle of Peter, the first epistle of Peter in chapter 1, the first epistle of Peter in chapter 1, and we're just going to read verses 15 and verse 16 together. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 15 and 16. And Peter writing, he says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And we'll end there. We're going to turn to another Portions of scripture as we go through the meeting, but rather than turning back and forth in our opening reading, we're just going to read Habakkuk and 1 Peter together, and we trust that the Lord will bless these portions of scripture together. Now, what we want to do this morning is, and it'll become more clear as we come across the different portions of scripture that we want to consider, but what we want to speak on this morning is the person of Christ and very much show the the sinlessness or what we would know as the impeccability of the lord jesus christ and you know as we come to the word of god and whatever aspect it would be that we would consider concerning christ it it ought to thrill our hearts and really to stir us up with a thankfulness for him you know this morning if you were gathered and you're feeling hopeless you're feeling a sense of uncertainty in your life you're feeling discouraged maybe you feel like you have no worth But whenever you come to the word of God and you just consider Christ, it will bring hope to your soul. It would bring a sense of worth knowing that you're accepted in the beloved. It would bring a sense of certainty knowing that you're saved and you're sealed and you're in his precious hands. And you know, as we come to the word of God, whatever aspect it is of the person of Christ, just considering him, it ought to thrill our hearts. And that's what we want to do this morning. We just want to consider the, the impeccability, the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ was incapable of sinning this morning. And you know, as we consider this thought, it will bring many things of practical teaching to our hearts that will hopefully encourage and hopefully help us as we seek to live for him even in these days. And what we think whenever we say there's a little phrase that how we would answer it would very much define our understanding of the person of christ you see you would either say this morning that christ was able not to sin or you would say that christ was not able to sin a little turn in the the statement will define whether you believe christ was impeccable that he was not able to sin or whether you believe christ was able not to sin he was peccable and he could sin but he didn't but what I want to do this morning, as we go through the Word of God, we'll be able to see, without a shadow of a doubt, the truth that Christ was not able to sin. And in knowing that it will thrill our hearts that we depend upon a finished work, that a sinless man who could not sin he performed and accomplished at the place called Calvary. And one of the reasons why we read in Habakkuk chapter one, and why we have read here in First Peter chapter one is, really what we want to do before we come and we consider a number of verses concerning Christ we really want to set the scene we really want to build up the picture of what God is really like because whenever we set the scene and we see a picture of the absolute holiness of God and then whenever we see that God or Christ was God manifest in the flesh we will come to the conclusion that because of the absolute holiness of God on one side, which is at an absolute polar opposite to sin, we will see that Christ was the perfect Son of God. And you know, as we come and we read in Habakkuk that God is of purer eyes and to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity, it shows us a picture of God's absolute holiness. And then we read here in First Peter that he that hath called us is holy. We've read here in Peter, be ye holy. For I am holy. And we see here a picture of the Old Testament and the New Testament very much in harmony concerning the holiness of God. And what we want to think of as you look at that little verse there in verse number 16 as we want to paint the picture, the emphasis in verse number 16 is on the word I, the word I. And if we were to read it, it says, Because it is written, Be ye holy. For I am holy. You see, the emphasis in this little verse here is on the fact of the one who is holy. And as believers, we ought to order our lives in a way because the God in whom we serve is holy, is holy. And if we think that God is holy, if we think that God is of pure eyes and to behold evil and cannot look upon iniquity, And yet we think how twice, first in Matthew chapter three, just before the Lord's public ministry, and then in Matthew chapter seventeen, right at the end of the Lord's ministry, twice we see that a voice comes from heaven, and it says, Behold, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. We can see that God He cannot look upon iniquity, but we can rejoice because God can look down upon his son look at his inner perfections look at his moral glories and find great delight in his precious son but you know as we go through the word of God we would find a number of different aspects that present to us the absolute holiness of God we would find if we were to turn this morning to psalm chapter 145 In verse 17, the psalmist David, in the last psalm that he ever penned, he said that the Lord is righteous in all his ways, or the Lord is righteous in all his works and is holy in all his ways. You see, the psalmist, he testifies and he's a witness to the absolute holiness of God. And as you read down Psalm 145, you'll find that it's a psalm of praise. The psalmist David, he just wants to simply uplift the name of God but you know you find in that little chapter of all its 21 verses there's a little verse and it says on the wicked he shall destroy you might ask yourself this morning in Psalm 145 a psalm of praise why would the psalmist David want to mark out that the Lord will destroy all the wicked and we find the answer is simply it is in testifying to the character of God because God is absolute holy because God is perfect in righteousness it is in accordance with his character that one day the Lord will destroy the wicked and dear friends this morning that ought to thrill our hearts in the sense that we are saved and we are clothed in the righteousness of God in Christ knowing that in accordance with God's righteous character he should destroy all the wicked But yet because of his grace and because of his mercy, we can find joy and peace knowing that we have have come into the riches of his goodness through his precious son. We could think of that little verse in Psalm 145. The Lord is holy in all his ways and that testifies to his holiness. We would only have to turn our eyes as we will do later this morning to remember Christ in his own appointed way. And we would think if we were to look at the place called Calvary, it is but a picture of the absolute holiness of God. To think there upon Calvary's tree that the Lord Jesus Christ was hung upon it. To think there that the Lord had all our iniquities led upon him. To think there upon Calvary's tree, the Lord who was sinless, who was spotless, who was perfectly pure, had our sins upon him on his own body on the tree. And we would think, as we think about Calvary, it is a picture of the absolute holiness of God. And we would find that thought brought out whenever the Lord Jesus Christ, he cried out upon the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And you know that there little phrase is found in Psalm 21 and verse 1, or 22 and verse 1. In Psalm 22 and verse 1, it is the prophetic Psalm concerning Calvary and you know if we think of Psalm 22 and verse 1 it's that cry if you read down into the verse 3 of Psalm 22 you'll find the answer Psalm 22 and verse 3 it says for thou art holy you see Calvary is a picture of the absolute holiness of God and God's absolute abhorrence and his absolute detest towards sin that the Lord Jesus Christ bore our sins upon Calvary's tree. Calvary is a picture of Christ's holiness. And we could go further, and we could think that God's holiness is also perfected to us in the fact that God never forgives sin, but God forgives the sinner. And you see, this morning, we can know assurance. And this morning, we know salvation in the Lord. Because God has forgiven us, the sinner, on the grounds of the work accomplished by the Savior. Because without the shedding of blood, there could be no remission for sins. And you see, as we build up this simple picture this morning, God is holy in all his ways. Calvary is a picture of the absolute holiness of God as he poured out his wrath upon his Son. The fact that God saves us on the grounds of what Christ accomplished on the cross. He forgives the sinner, not the sin, because Christ paid the penalty. We have started to build up a picture of the absolute holiness of God. We could really go much deeper than that this morning, but it just simply this morning builds up the picture for us. God's absolute holiness. And as we think of that this morning, before we move on, it should challenge our hearts on this fact. That, that little verse we read there in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 16. Be ye holy, for I am holy. is cited three times in the book of Leviticus. So we see the harmony of this little fact that the Lord is holy, Leviticus. And First Peter side by side. And Leviticus we would put in and we would say Leviticus is very much the book of relationship. The book of Leviticus very much spoke to the children of Israel how they would enjoy a relationship and communion with God through the many different sacrifices and the many different offerings. And you see this morning that if we want to have a right relationship with God, if we want to know close communion with God, it's found in the fact of be ye holy. For I am holy. We ought to challenge our lives this morning concerning our home lives. Concerning our personal lives. Concerning our devotion to him. Concerning our assembly life. That if we want to know a right relationship and close communion with the Lord. We ought to seek to order our lives in a life of holiness. But you can see we have built up briefly a picture of the absolute holiness of God. And then if we think that if God is holy, well, then we would think about what is Christ like? And you see, if we were to turn this morning to Hebrews chapter one, you don't need to do it. But in Hebrews chapter one, we read this little phrase that God has spoken to us in these last days in his son. And it says, who being the express image of his person. The Lord Jesus Christ is the express image of the person of God. And really what that gives the idea of is an exact replica. And you see this morning, if we think of God's absolute holiness means that God cannot sin, that if the Lord Jesus Christ is an exact replica, if that which is true of God is true of Christ, then it means that Christ is absolute holy and Christ could not sin. And you see, this starts to build us up a beautiful picture of the person of Christ that Christ is an exact replica of God. The attributes of God are true of Christ. That's why in John chapter 1 and verse 1, we see that Christ was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And then in verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You can see God, the divine nature of Christ and the human nature of Christ perfectly combined in a unique personality. And it builds us up and it allows us to see that if God is absolute holy, Christ is absolute holy. If God could not sin, Christ could not sin. And it allows us to know the assurance in Christ. But what I want to do is I want to bring a couple of little verses together from the Word of God. And as we read them, you'll know where we're going to go each time. But if you want to turn first of all to Second Corinthians chapter 15. Second Corinthians chapter five, or Second Corinthians chapter five, sorry. Second Corinthians chapter five, and it's just the last verse, the last verse of Second Corinthians chapter five. We have established this morning the holiness of God. We've established this morning the holiness of Christ. And now we want to consider what some of the portions of Scripture say concerning him. And here the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, he said, He hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And it's those little four words we want to think about here. The Lord Jesus Christ, he knew no sin. And this was written by the Apostle Paul, and we would say the Apostle Paul was the man of knowledge. And you'll see how this little thought will piece together as we consider a number of other portions of Scripture this morning. But the Apostle Paul will think of him as the man of knowledge. See, The Apostle Paul, before he was saved, he was well-versed in Judaism. He had sat at the feet of a man called Gamaliel, Whenever he was saved on the road to Damascus, we find that in Galatians it tells us that he spent three years in Arabia in the desert being molded by the Lord. And Whenever the Apostle Paul, he came out and he started to go out into his calling to be the Apostle to the Gentiles, we find that Paul was the man of knowledge concerning the Gospel. He was the man who said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 how that he had delivered the message that he had received that christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures and concerning the apostle paul we would say he was the man of knowledge concerning the message of the gospel you only have to read through romans to see the great doctrines concerning the gospel how that all are without excuse how that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of god And the Apostle Paul, he wrote many of the books of the New Testament. He was a man of knowledge concerning the message of the gospel. He was a man of knowledge concerning the mystery of the church. We find that in Ephesians chapter 3. He says how that that he revealed to me the mystery. And he goes on and speaks concerning the church. Paul was a man of knowledge. And then he comes here in 2 Corinthians and he says, Who knew no sin." the Lord Jesus Christ, who knew no sin. And you see that little word there, new. If you were to go back to the Greek, you will find it's just a simple word, gnosko, and what it simply means is a knowledge and personal experience. Something new in personal experience. And what it means simply is this, that the Lord never knew sin by personal experience. You see, this morning we would know for a fact that The Lord intellectually knew what sin was. He walked upon the broad acres of this world. He exposed sin. He brought it out in front of people. He was able to save men and women from their sins. But the Lord never personally knew what it was to sin. And that's something that we can rejoice in this morning. Because if you think of what the Apostle Paul is trying to say there, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, we could not this morning depend upon Christ if he was not free from sin. Christ could not have taken our place as the sinner if he knew sin. But you see, what is interesting about this little thought of the Apostle Paul, he says that, that Christ, he knew no sin. But you'll find that the Apostle Paul, he uses that little Greek word again and. Philippians and you see if the, if the apostle Paul was, would say concerning Christ that he knew no sin the apostle Paul would say in his own thoughts that that I might know him you see the apostle Paul's great desire was this that he might personally know by experience the Lord Jesus Christ and have a deeper walk with him you see the Lord knew no sin, and we can rejoice in that. Our great value in him is in the fact that intellectually he knew what it was, but personally he never was conscious to experience it. But our desire is, as we think of what Paul was, Paul was the man of knowledge. And might it be this morning that our desire might be that we would be men and women of knowledge, that we might know him. And I wonder this morning, is that your desire? Do you truly get down before the Lord in prayer and cry out that I might know him, the one who knew no sin, the one who was spotless, sinless, undefiled, separate from sinners? You see, Paul says, the man of knowledge, that I might know him. But then if you want to, to come over to First Peter again, First Peter again, and we'll read in chapter 2. Paul was the man of knowledge and he said Christ knew no sin. In First Peter chapter 2 and verse 22, we find another four little words. I'm sure you know what they are before we turn there, but the, Peter, he writes concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 21, he says Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin. You see, we would say of Peter, Peter's not the man of knowledge, but Peter would be the man of action, the man of action. And if you were to go through the word of God and read things concerning Peter, you would find that he was always doing something, whether it was the fisherman, whether it was acting too quick when he chopped off the ear of the high priest's servant, Whether it was, and we read in the early portion of Acts as he went out, and as the apostles turned the world upside down in the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter would be seen as the man of action. He was the man of doing. And he's the one concerning Christ here that he says, who did no sin, who did no sin, the man of action. And what Peter presents to us here is the Lord Jesus Christ as Our perfect example, Christ leaving us an example that ye should follow him. And you know, if we think of Peter in his life, he spent three years as he walked close with the Lord by personal experience through the Lord's ministry. He was able to watch the Lord as he interacted with men. He was able to watch how the Lord dealt with certain situations And he was able to arrive at the simple conclusion that having spent time with the Lord, having watched the Lord move, that he did no sin. He was able to know that the Lord never faltered in word, he never faltered in step. And if we combine that or contrast that to the man of Peter, Peter knew what it was to deny the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew what it was to fail him. He knew what it was to be restored. But here was a man who knew what it was to fall short and he knew when he contrasted his life to the life of the Lord, he could say that Christ has left us an example who did no sin, who did no sin. And if we go through the word of God, we would find many men who were never able to lay anything to the charge of Christ. You'll remember how after His death upon the cross, the soldier cried out, truly this was the Son of God. How that Judas was able to say how he had betrayed innocent blood. How Pilate could never find a fault in the Lord Jesus Christ. And here how Peter could say, "Who did no sin. And you know, if we think of that little fact that the Lord Jesus Christ never faltered, never failed. He lived a life of dependence upon the Father and upon the word of God. We would think of the Lord Jesus Christ when we think of a little verse in James when it says that if any man offend in word or if any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man. And Because of how Peter explained the Lord, and because how we know that Christ did not falter in any word, he never offended, we can know that he was the perfect man. And you see, if Paul, the man of knowledge, who knew that Christ knew no sin, challenges our hearts that we ought to have a desire that we might know him, then Peter, the man of action, who said that the Lord Jesus Christ, who did no sin, he challenges our heart that we might look to him, as he says here, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps, that we ought to be men and women of action, following the steps of Christ, that we might be more like him. The man of knowledge, he knew no sin. The man of action, he did no sin. And then if you want to come over to First John, First John chapter 3, we'll find another simple little phrase concerning Christ. We've thought about Paul. We've thought about Peter. Now we're going to think about John. First John chapter three and verse five. It says, "And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin, and in him is no sin." And we would say concerning what John has said here that John would be the man of affection, the man of affection. If you think back and you consider the Apostle John and his life, the Apostle John was the man who wrote five books of the New Testament. He wrote the Gospel account of John. And in that little book, he wrote that he must increase and I decrease. In that book, he wrote that he never named himself. He just described himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And you know, as we think of that this morning, they go side by side. The fact that John didn't want to reveal himself, but he simply wanted to always point to Christ. He wanted to point to the love of Christ. He was simply the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he knew what it was to know that he must increase and I decrease. John was the man who often used the word love The word love is found more times in 1 John and the gospel account of John than in any other book in the Bible. John was the man who was in the upper room in John 13, leaning on the bosom of Christ. John was the man that the Lord entrusted to take care of Mary whenever he was on the cross. Behold thy mother. John was the man who had seen and witnessed Christ upon the cross. He was the man who witnessed the empty tomb he was the man who witnessed the risen savior and his ascension and he was the man who seen every aspect of the lord's life he was the man who was in close communion with god he was a man of who knew the great love of christ and so he could come here and he could say in him is no sin and if you think of that little word there in the middle it does not say was it says is in him is no sin. Whilst Christ walked upon earth in him is no sin, while Christ now in his exalted state in him is no sin. And a man who was in close fellowship and close communion with the Lord, he knew that within Christ there was no sin. He was the man of affection, and you know of Paul challenges our hearts that we ought to have a greater desire to know him and if Peter challenges our hearts that we ought to follow his steps as a great example to us well then John he simply challenges us as the man of affection that that we ought to have a greater love for him a greater love for him because Christ knew no sin Christ did no sin in him is no sin I just want to turn you back to Hebrews chapter four just for our last consideration. Because in Hebrews chapter four we find a, a little verse of Scripture that that really brings it together and shows us the fact that Christ could not sin. When we think of God's holiness, it's enough for us to be of a sure thing that Christ could not sin. Being the express image of his person. Three men, Peter, John, and Paul, all testified to the sinlessness of Christ. And here we have in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, it says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted or was in all points tested. Or tried like as we are, yet apart from sin. Yet apart from sin would be a better rendering of that. You see, men and women may come to you and say, well, here's a little verse that says, that proves that Christ could have sinned. It says that he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. And they might say, well, here it proves it. But you see, really it should read yet apart from sin. And the fact is this, that that little Greek word there, apart from or without, as we read there, is a little Greek word, chorus. And what it means is this, if we think in that little verse that we have read this morning, it, it speaks of Christ as the subject and sin as the object. And really what it means is this, that Christ, the subject of the verse, is completely separate from the object described, and that is sin. You see, it doesn't mean that sin was absent, but rather it means that sin was separate. You see, if you think of it but like by way of illustration, if you think of a classroom of pupils, and the teacher there is at the front, and they're taking the register, and they're calling out the name of the first pupil, and they respond, and they say present. And then they go on to the next name, and the next pupil's not there, and they would simply write down absent. You see, the the pupil should be there, but and they're normally there, but they're absent. But you see, the difference is concerning this verse, that Christ and sin, it wasn't the fact that sin was absent, but it was the fact that sin was separate. It was completely against his character, and he could not have sinned. And what this brings to us, this little verse, it shows us Christ as the, the sympathizing high priest, to each and every one of his saints this morning. There's great joy there in this little negative, for we have not an high priest. We can rejoice this morning because we have a high priest. We have a high priest that has been touched with the feeling of our infirmities. You know, if we think of the Lord Jesus Christ when he was led out by, into the wilderness and he was tried by Satan... And there he was tried in three full different ways when Satan tried to get him to turn the to turn the rock into bread and to cast himself down and so forth and to glorify himself. But there as we think as Satan tried the Lord it proved to us that Christ could not sin. It proved to us the fact that the Lord would not yield to evil temptation from without. And you know if we think of this morning of the absolute holiness of Christ that is why we read in the word of God that when he he suffered being tempted the holier a person is the greater the degree of suffering that they will have when they are tried or tested. And through the Lord's testing and through the Lord's trying He was able to know the miseries. He was able to know the difficulties that each and every one of us would experience as we walk the broad acres of this world. And you know, dear friends, whatever your difficulty might be this morning or uncertainty or challenge that you, you might have in a week that lies ahead. You can know that you have a sympathizing high priest in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the Lord was tried and because the Lord was tested in all points as we were or we are, he can sympathize with us. And because the Lord Jesus Christ was sinless and spotless and undefiled and separate from sinners, he can plead for us. And you know this morning it ought to rejoice and thrill your heart that we have a great high priest. We have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. And you know, whether this morning we think of the Apostle Paul, we ought to know that Christ knew no sin. It ought to thrill our hearts. And we ought to ask the Lord that we might know him, that we might become men and women of knowledge concerning him. We think of Peter, the man of action. The Lord did no sin. We ought to look at him as our perfect example and ask the Lord to grant us the grace and the love that we might follow his steps. We think of the Apostle John, the man of affection, knew that in him is no sin. We ought to ask the Lord that we might know what it is to love him more, to show our greater appreciation for him. And then we would come and we would just think of the writer to the Hebrews and we would just simply see the man of greatness, the Lord Jesus Christ, our great high priest, the one who can sympathize for us. The one who, because he was sinless, can plead for us. And we know that whatever our burden is, we can lay it at his feet. And you know, as we piece it together this morning, that's why when we opened up that I thought, when when I said concerning Christ that when we consider him, if we have no hope, he will bring hope. If we feel like we have no worth, he will bring worth to our soul. If we feel like we're struggling in difficult circumstances, We know that we can lay all with him because he can sympathize for us. And so I trust this morning these simple remarks concerning the Savior and his sinlessness and his perfection might draw out our hearts to a greater appreciation and affection for him even in these days and might even stir up a a true heart of thankfulness as we come to remember him this morning in his own appointed way. And so we trust the Lord will bless his word two hearts this morning and we'll just bow in a wee word of prayer our heavenly father we thank thee that we bow before thee this morning in and through that precious name of Christ we thank thee that all our merits are upon him everything we depend upon is because of him we thank thee that he was the sinless spotless lamb of God We thank thee this morning that we have been saved by his precious blood and we're depending upon no other but him. We thank thee for the great assurance he has given us in his word. We thank thee we have been saved by Christ and we've been sealed with the spirit of promise. And our Father, we come to thee and we ask that in these days that we might be men and women with a a desire in our hearts that we might know him more. And as we become and know him more, that he might increase and we would decrease in our lives. And so, Father, we pray for thy word that thou would hide it in our hearts and that even in these days that lie ahead that we might be lights in in this dark world and might have lives of great testimony of thee because of what thou hast done for us. And so, Father, we pray even now as this meeting will draw to a close and we'll come and remember thy son around the Lord's table. Make it a time of refreshment and sweetness as we consider him. In thy precious name we pray. Amen.